There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plushcare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Monday Distillery. Monday Distillery is a new age beverage company revolutionising the way we look at having a night out with friends. They make sophisticated, non-alcoholic beverages that are sugar-free and full of social graces. Now you can enjoy a good time, love what you drink and love yourself the next day too. Stay high in spirits, keep a clear mind. Cheers to Monday. Are you sick of feeling controlled by alcohol? Do you want to drink less? Do you wake up on a Sunday morning feeling really anxious and full of regret? I'm Danny Carr and welcome to my podcast, How I Quit Alcohol. Hi and welcome back to How I Quit Alcohol. Today in the studio, I'm stoked to have my buddy Lauren Lenane in. I love that name. It's got movie star written all over it. Lauren and I know each other from Theatre Group, which is pretty cool. Um, thanks for coming in, Lauren. Pleasure. How are you? Yeah, good. That's good. good. Yeah, so the Theatre Group, that's an interesting thing. I started doing that as a way to um, kind of just get out of my boundaries a little. Like I've always performed, but I've never acted. Really? So it was kind of cool to just go in there and try and learn something completely different and really challenge myself and, um, yeah, get to meet awesome people like you, <laughs> which Thank is you. really cool. So why did you start doing the theatre group? Oh, wow. I, um, I started doing the theatre group as I had to set myself goals, you know, uh, there was weekly, monthly yearly goals that I wanted to achieve when I first uh, got sober. You know, all the things that I'd missed out doing for mm. 28 years whilst I was a practicing alcoholic. Wow, 28 years. 28 years, wow. yeah, I, I wasted of my life. So, yeah, I wanted to do things and I'd just seen it advertised. It was called Empowering Women Through Theatre and I wanted Great empowerment. Name. Yeah. So I joined up. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So how long have you been sober for? Three years, three and a half months. Wow, that's amazing. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. That's yeah. That's really cool. So can you take us back to how you got started drinking in the first place? Well, I got started um, when I was, you know, really young. As a child, they used to have to lock away the medicines because back in the, you know, 70s, 80s, when I was a child, alcohol was in cough syrups. And I just always wanted it. You know, mum said my obsession with it was really early. And like how old? Oh, you know, eight, nine. Wow. But I didn't get drunk until I was 15. And that first night I got drunk, um, was at a party, I vomited, all of those things that were horrific that you'd think would be enough to say I'm not going to do it again, like what happened for my sister when she first started. And that happened for her. She said, I'm never going to do that again and hasn't to this day. But wow. for me... All I know is that feeling of how I changed internally and the warmth and the feeling like I'd found the solution right at the start from that first drink. I just wanted more. Wow. You know, I was a 
I hated being in my own body, you know. I hated feeling, feeling like I was in my skin. So when I was given this Dutch courage, if we want to call it, mm. I felt at, at home and at ease. Wow. And so then after, like, from being 15, yeah. was it just like a party, constant? It was party drinking, you know. As a 16-year-old, I started going out to nightclubs underage. I, you know, got really – that was, you know, Thursday, Friday nights of every week, binge drinking, getting drunk each time, until I became a daily drinker at, probably at the age of 22. I was wow. drinking each day, each and every day. Wow. And was that like waking up in the morning or and doing no, it? No, you know just- what? You know, I had um, all those lines in the roads that I was never going to cross. So for a mm. long while, I was never going to cross uh, the one that I was drinking each day. And then, you know, how many years into it I was. And then I was never going to cross, you know, drinking before five o'clock. And then however many years after, I did start doing it. But at the start, you know, I, I managed to hold down... Job. Um, I had my first daughter when I was 24 years old. Um, so I got married. Um, I was working. We had our own business at home. Um, I was drinking each day, yeah, and getting drunk most nights. Um, but I'd get up the next day and I'd just sort of keep doing life. So I suppose I was, I would refer myself to, you know, a top shelf drinker initially, you know, fine wines, thought I looked good. We had some money. Years later, no, it didn't resemble that at all. Um, Because I suppose, you know, my story, what I can really share about is the progression of the disease. Mm. Mm. We often talk about that in this podcast is the progressive nature of alcohol. Yeah. Um, My very close friend, Lyndall, who ended up, she was a party girl just like us, teenagers, we started drinking early. Hers progressed quite quickly into a daily habit, which then became her becoming quite isolated and drinking on her own. And Mm. she's, well, you know, she's on well on the road to recovery now. But we talk about that often, the progressive nature of it and how... Whether it's to whether it becomes like a daily thing or just that your binging gets more excessive or whatever, however it looks for you, it, oh, just yeah. that that need to fill the emotional and spiritual void. You know, mm. that was all I could do when I felt terrible. And you know, there'd be many days I'm waking up with regret and remorse for my behaviour from the day before, and or I just knew I had so much stuff to get done, and I couldn't do it without filling myself you know even with just that one drink to start me off so how did that feel like did you feel when you're having that first one the next day oh. what does that feel like well once I've had that first one you know that's I'm, it's all over so that's why abstinence is just so it's the only way for me you know mm. I tried to do controlled drinking I tried to um to only do have this amount or only on these days, mm. and I could never, never, ever hold myself to any of that. It, it's because as soon as I had that first sip, I was gone. There would be, there yeah. would be no stopping me. I think that trying the control drinking for so many of us too. No matter how, again, like no matter what sort of level your drinking's at, whether it's mm. a daily thing or the full on binging. But I've I've just found with myself and Ash was the same and other friends trying to do this controlled drinking when it's in you a bit to want to just go for oh, it it's fucking exhausting it is it's a mind fuck like it, it is it's yeah. really it, it eats at you yeah you know it eats at you you know i would pour pour a glass and then i'd put the bottle right up the back of the cupboard right out of reach i'd look at the clock i'd say i'm not going to have one again until maybe an hour and 20 minutes later, I'm reaching up the back of the cupboard getting that bottle and filling it up and each yeah. time i felt really bad that i would you know I was going against what I had planned, but I just couldn't stop. Once I start, yeah. I just can't stop, you know. Yeah. Um, it's so sneaky. It's so sneaky. It just it just tells me, you know, it's okay, you know. the, You know, my, my addict and the clean and recovered Lauren are two different people. Yeah. Absolutely worlds apart. But I have both of them that, you know, still I still have – sort of addiction things that play out sometimes now it might be my obsession with my body or um getting really codependent in my relationship so i've just got that nature where if i want something i want it more yeah i just want more of it um does that would that link back to any childhood thing or anything of not having enough is there anything yeah i had an okay i had an okay childhood you know i grew up in a middle class family i didn't miss out but i was really misunderstood i Mm. was an odd kid you know in today's world i i'd have had probably 
a fair degree of intervention, you know, like I've got a, um, my fifth daughter is autistic, you know, and I see some of her traits and think, you know, wow, you know, when I was a kid, I was the odd kid, mm. you know. So what it was is I just got in trouble for being naughty or so I was just completely misunderstood, Yeah, you know, because I would crave for attention and I'd do, I'd do naughty things, you know. Mm. I didn't say, I, I don't know why, but I was just different. I was different at school. I didn't didn't link with bunches of people. I moved moved through life painfully. Mm. So again, when I found the substance that made me feel at ease, I loved it. And you know, I I had amazing times until it stopped working, and then it stripped from me. You know, and I always say, you know, I I stopped taking the drink. The drink was taking me. Mm. And I, I, stopped, I tried to stop for 10 years. So, you know, my story of trying to get um, sober wasn't that, you know, just I decided, you know, that this happened and I wanted to put it down. It was really a lot of attempts through lots of different avenues, psychiatry, psychology, hypnotherapy, you know, health retreats, medication, so many things I was actively seeking. Can you help me? I need to stop. I need to stop. But that was what I was doing wrong is that I was trying to get everybody else to come jump on board some professional or some some way, you know, some newfangled way of living that mm. was going to mean that it would stop. But I had to do the work. And that's what I've done this time. I've done the work and I've lived through the uncomfortability. You know, that first year of being sober was so hard, you know, and I just always used to constantly be told by other people who have gone before me that, you know, sure, you're having a hard day and you feel completely prickly today. But can you can you compare that to when you were drinking? You know, your worst day today is not it doesn't even resemble your best day at the end of you. Yeah. you're using and mm. yeah that's true because it was just absolutely living hell towards the end really yeah god it's just so and that's so scary because i mean a lot of people that are listening to this podcast are binge drinkers yeah. but then i guess i mean some people are more full-blown like yourself and or mm. on the edge of it going yeah. into an everyday thing that's why I was asking what does it feel like to see I never had that everyday drinking type thing yeah in fact I could really back it up I was a bit of a lightweight like that but I, I imagine that that feeling of drinking every day you must feel so kind of pissed with yourself oh, and just I just would wake up and say just not today please no I'm not going to there's nothing will today will make me do it and then it took took over and then I'd be in complete remorse immediately oh. i've messed it up okay i've messed it up i may as well mess it up really good and i'd get absolutely blind drunk and it's funny you know because when i first got sober i heard the term blackout mm. and i had never i've never been unconscious as such mm. so i thought well i've never blacked out but what i now understand is when you have hours of being awake and you have no memory of it and i lived in that you know i I would not know where I'd gone, who I'd spoken to, how I drove home. Mm. Um, you know, I was in I was in blackout. I was drinking that much, you know, consuming mm. that much alcohol. And as I said, I didn't start out like that. For the first 10 years, I, I probably drank a, a bottle a day. And at the end, you know, and I, I we used to collect wine. My husband used to collect all this fine wine and we would be sipping away at it. And of course, I'd consume it a lot more than he would. Mm. But at the end, you know, I was drinking metho. Mm. You actually were drinking yeah. metho? Holy shit. Yeah. Wow. How the hell did you get to metho? Well, you know, that's that's what I wanted to sort of share about the progression of the disease, you know. So I um, you know, started out, you know, drinking, um, as I said, most days by the time I was in my 20s, I, um, got, I, had, I had got married, I had three children during the, that time and I kept it together on, on the surface. No one would have really known that I was... Um, a practicing alcoholic apart mm. from the you know my immediate family those people who would be in the house because it would all happen late at night after the kids are in bed I'm getting drunk and I'm getting up the next day with a hangover mm. you know eating as much fried food as you can yeah yeah I got massively oh 
overweight. You no know, way, really? I'm sitting here in front of you now and I've still got this body image shit that goes on. Wow. So I think I said to you before, oh, I've put on a bit of weight. But I, know, I, I look amazing. Gorgeous. I look amazing. You do. And, and yet at one stage I was 120 kilos. No way. Yeah. Can you send me a photo of that? Photo? <laughs> I don't even know if I've got any, you know, because I, I don't have hardly anything left from my life. This is what happened. So I then. Um, so can I just ask a question? Where yeah. was husband? Was he aware? He, w- he was aware, and in fact, now that I've done a lot of work, he was probably an enabler. Right. You know, if we went out, he would drive me home. Um, you know, he would buy me the alcohol because I'd call him and say I need it, and he would do it. He because he didn't want to fight me if he if mm. he didn't. I was you know I got reasonably aggressive in in mm-hmm. when I was drunk. You know, I was a perpetrator for a lot of um, domestic violence in my first relationship because um, oh, yeah. I was that drunk wife, you know. Yeah. So, But he, he just couldn't say no. So he did enable me and would pick up the pieces. Right, yeah. You know. But anyway, I got sick of myself and I was 32 years old and I, had, as I said, I tried so many different things to get sober and what I did that time is, I don't know, one of the appointments that I'd had at my GP and I'm sitting there in his room devastated, crying, and he didn't know what to do with me. He was really concerned for my mental health and he asked me if I had the time to stay. He put me in the next room that was empty and he called one of his clients who was, his name was Alan and he was 20 years sober and he came down and shared his story with me oh. and I didn't have a drink again from that day for 15 months he introduced me to AA and I started started going to the fellowship and that's what I did I did meetings and I did sobriety and that was the first time in my life that I I felt okay about myself what unfortunately happened whilst I was in that time is I I ended up having an affair and I had an affair with somebody who was also in the fellowship. Mm-hmm. And I then left my husband for this man. What, or what I knew but didn't understand the capacity of is that this man was recovering from drug abuse. So he had been a heroin addict. And he picked that up pretty quickly into our relationship. So I He started using again. He started using again. So Shit. I was I I ended up picking up drink and he was using and then before long, you know, I had um a needle in my arm Fuck. at the age of thirty six was the Heroin. first I first first thing I tried was speed and I you know, I injected speed and heroin, yeah, you know, it it was a it was a drug I used for a very short period of time, what I actually swapped to and what I swapped my drink into was methamphetamine or, or ice. Wow. And wow. Um, so this man introduced that to me in my life. You know, he he encouraged me. He wanted it. He wanted more. His drug addiction was well off and running again. We consequently went and had two more babies together. Ooh. So I've got five daughters. Um, when I was pregnant with my fourth daughter, I had an overdose oh, at, you were pregnant. at 22 weeks pregnant and I an ambulance had to be called and I was hospitalised and my three older children were immediately removed from my care oh. and I was under the watch of child protection then for the rest of my pregnancy because obviously you know they, they were mostly concerned for the, the children's welfare. Um, what had happened in amongst that, like, why was I doing what I was doing is that actually domestic violence where I was no longer the perpetrator, but the victim with this man came into my life. But if I look back now, why was any of that possible was because we were both smashed. It's as simple as that. Mm. You know, uh, I met him when he was clean and sober and he was a beautiful human. And when he started using, he turned into the devil, you know, mm. And I just didn't know how to operate, you know. I was mm. stuck in this situation. So my ch- my three older children never come back into my care. They did come back to stay with me two nights a week for the next couple of years, but went to live with their father full term. And for the next couple of years is when I had baby number four, baby number five, and I had this blended family, but I still had their addiction in my first three pregnancies no that's not the truth in my first pregnancy i had i consumed no alcohol at all 
I was um, going to ask that. Yeah, yeah, you know, and I think sometimes I wonder, did I go off and have five babies because that was just a um, an idea I had in my head that, you know, I'll look after the baby, I won't drink, I'll, I'll do the right thing. And I think I actually believed that. Mm. Um, with baby number two, I actually found out I was pregnant with her in my very first rehab. So I was 26 or 27 years old in rehab and I found out I was pregnant decided that that was enough of a reason for me to know I wasn't going to drink again and I left that rehab prematurely so I never did any work and I didn't drink again for the pregnancy and then when they're born it all starts Um, but by the time the fourth one I'd obviously had an overdose which was of Xanax and alcohol so Mm. it was I was still alcohol was still my preference even though there was other substances on on offer for me it was always going to be my preference it was my go-to self-medicating substance and then by the time baby number five came along I was um, injecting ice and doing that in the pregnancy and I couldn't couldn't stop and you know she's autistic is that coincidence I don't I don't believe so you know she's got Mm. a lot of emotional issues and she's a real fast little girl you know Mm. she's speedy Mm. you know and I have to you know know that I exposed her to that. Again, that woman back there with baby number one who was living, you know, in a reasonably well-to-do life. I drove a Mercedes, you know, I had I had stuff. She wasn't going to do what she did with baby number five. But by then I couldn't not do it. I didn't yeah. have the capacity to say no. I couldn't put it down. It, was, it had taken hold of me and was was ruling my behaviour. That is terrifying. I mean, you must have been, there must have been at some point where you were there with baby number five going, how the fuck did I get to this? Yeah, like- every, every day. That's the, that's the agony of it. When you're doing the same behaviour every single day and you don't want to and you can't stop. And you keep saying, I will do this. And then it just can't happen. You just mess up again. Wow. So the, the, the torture... Yeah. But in those instances, whilst I was drinking, I would feel at ease. Yeah. And wow. then the next morning, feel regret and remorse and, and agony again. But then have that one or two, oh, relief, relief from my mind, relief from my over massive internal feelings. I mean, looking back in hindsight and knowing what you know now, mm. how would you have done it differently if you could have done it differently or if there was people listening to this and they're feeling Well, similar? you know, what's worked for me is that, um, you know, I, I did end up like what you, you share about your friend, you know, locked away, being on, on my own. And that's how I was. Um, my two younger children were, were eventually removed from my care under the um, guise of the, the police removed them because of the domestic violence in the relationship. But as I said, you know, that was all based on, on the drugs and alcohol in their environment. Mm. Um, so I ended up being on my own, estranged from my family, living in some little granny flat out the back of, you know, a, a rented house, drinking, you know, every day. You know, I'd wake up in the morning and the local bottle shop where I was, I was in, in a tiny little country town, didn't open till 11 o'clock, so I would just start shuffling down the street. I'd lost my licence by then. Um, so, yeah, I'd walk down the street to, to get a bottle of vodka or or if I couldn't afford that because it was at the end of my two-week Centrelink pay cycle, then, as I said, it would be meso. Um, Holy shit. Now so how, meso, yeah, like, how do I – what would I have said – well, what to, would you have to, done? That, to that woman who wanted to get sober 10 years earlier than that, yeah. seek help. But yeah. I was doing what I thought was help. That was through medical intervention. And I just don't believe, you know, that general practitioners and, and that have, have their ability. It was only that one doctor who showed me, Alan, who, had a, who, who does what you do and has a life, had a life sober and was there to share himself with me. That was the only time that I had managed to stay um, sober and I suppose I knew that in the back of my mind that there were you know other people um, living a clean and healthy life but I just I had lost contact with everybody and I you know I was a little hermit you know 
So, yeah, to seek help from others who are doing this, like yourself, like, you know, I, I still go to 12-step fellowships and all of my friends are living sober. It, I couldn't be – I couldn't go out to a pub now unless I took a, a, a recovery buddy with me, mm. you know. I'm three years sober. I don't think I – I don't want to drink. Mm. I, I don't have the – you know, the obsession has, has been removed. Mm. But I just don't put myself in the situation because, you know, mm. as we say, you sit in the barber's chair long enough, you get a haircut. Mm. So I'm not going to go out to pubs, clubs and parties. I'm not going to hang around with people who are daily drinkers. I'm not going to live in a house with wine in the fridge. Yeah. So, yeah, that's what I wish I had of – you know, and even even with my husband the very first time round, I remember when I got sober, it was such a big deal. It was sort of like I was like the clown of the family. Oh, let's all talk about Lauren. Oh, we won't have alcohol here because she might have it. And it was really – it was a really awful sort of alienation again that I felt, which I had already been that – as a kid, I'd mm. felt alienated. Mm. So he didn't understand. He used to hide his alcohol – you know, it was just he didn't understand what it, what it was like to to be addicted because that wasn't his story, and so he didn't understand me. And now I've got other people who are, are doing sober living that mm. understand mm. what it's like and understand how fucking hard it can be some days yep. being clean. Yep. It's not not always easy. Yeah, you've got to be careful about who you surround yourself with. And it's not about removing people from your life completely. But depending on who you're around, we tend to lower or drop our standards to suit people, to make them feel better about themselves or or to be accepted, you know. And so it can be very dangerous to be around people that are yeah drinking heavily, especially totally. if you're trying to change your life. Oh, you, and you can't talk to the bottle. You know, people's behaviour changes. It's absolutely a societal, you know, massive concern what happens. You know, you mm. as I said, you know, the domestic violence was in my life. You know, something like 90-something percent of, of domestic violence cases are because of alcohol um, yep. and that someone's been drinking, you know. So... I, I've got nothing to say to somebody when they're drunk. I can't understand them. I don't, can't communicate with them. I know that I'm wasting my time until mm. they sober up. So I just, you know, I feel pity and, and sadness for them and, mm. and empathy and wish that they could find a, a different way to be living. But, you know, until someone's ready to to do the work, yeah. you can't you can't make it happen for them. You know, it has to be a spiritual change happened in me. You know, spiritually yep. I changed. I made a decision to be a new version of myself. Yeah. That's the only way that it's worked. So now, you know, in your three years down the track, yep. how do you cope with things? You know, how you were saying it would be a, like a stress reliever or it yeah. would make you feel calm. Unfortunately, my story, my children have, haven't been returned to my life. Right. Yeah, that's um, hard. So many people, you know, that end up, um, I, I ended up in psychiatric wards and really, really <laughs> very unhealthy um, mm. woman. And mm. um, during that time, that was even more of a reason for my family to, to stay clear away from me. And I've got sober and, and so many people, when they do, their lives are returned. That hasn't been my experience because I burnt some pretty big bridges mm. and my parents are raising my two youngest children now and they have full control over how much I see them. They're not ready to forgive me. I've tried. The kids or your parents? My parents. Yeah, yeah right. the kids are only seven and six years old. Oh. So, you know, it's it's completely painful often looking at other people with children and, and what they're doing with their lives and knowing, you know, that that's not not my story so that that's one of the hardest things that I have to do on a daily basis but what I do is I just practice living my life to the best I can knowing that I am doing the best for them Mm. Um, and that one day when they get the opportunity um, they'll be able to to request to have me in their life more you know they don't have that that opportunity my older children um, it's completely different story but the, the little girls that are under, you know, the rules of, of my parents and, and that it was ruled by government, you know, mm. because of child protection's involvement, they were permanently removed. If I only had have got sober earlier, then it, it would be a different 
story. But, you know, even after they were removed, I didn't make me stop. That yeah. You'd think that would be enough for anybody to go, oh, my God, I've got to change something. I, I wanted to. I just seriously couldn't. Mm. Yeah. Um, so I always wonder what what happened? What was that golden moment this time? Why has it worked this time? Why am I three years into it this time after all of those many, many attempts? And that's where I talk about it being a spiritual change. Um, what happened? Like what got you to right before you – did you go into rehab? Or I, I actually had um, a friend who had I hadn't seen for like 15 years catch up with me because he saw me on Facebook, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and sent a friend request and asked to come and visit. And he saw and reminded me, because he hadn't seen me in 15 years, hadn't really had a friendship with me in 20 years. And the person he had remembered, the person I resembled at the time, he he burst into tears. And he did his dandest. He plucked me out of central Victoria where I was living, took me back to his house. And within six months, I'm at a therapeutic community or a long-term rehabilitation centre. So he was the white knight. Wow, what an amazing person. What an amazing person, you know, and he put up with me being drunk for those next six months and throwing bricks at his window and like I was I was completely my behavior was so unpredictable when I was drinking it towards the end because I was just living in complete utter gutting pain. So, you know, there was suicide idealization. I didn't ever act out on attempting suicide, but I wanted to die. You know, I'd lost my children. I'd lost my family. There was no reason for me to to feel like I was living. But he gave me enough of an insight to remind me of the person that I I used to be and I knew I could return to. So, yeah, Yeah. I, I, I love him dearly. Oh, you would. Yeah. I love him. Yeah, <laughs> him. very good man. You know? Wow. So, yeah, for me, I couldn't get sober on my own out in the big world. That's that's not my story. Um, I couldn't put it down. I had to be locked away or, you know, go to rehab because I couldn't trust myself. And during that time, I got enough days up in a row of not, not drinking or using a substance. So all of the physical addiction left. And once they say, you know, the first... 30 days is really difficult in the first 90 days. You know, if you can get to that mark, something actually really changes in you. Mm. So, you know, I managed to do seven months in that facility. So I had got through all of those uncomfortable, risky times Mm. of when people often go and relapse because I was protected in an environment where there was no, no way I could go out down the street and have a squig. <laughs> yeah, wow. That was that at the Buttery? That was in at the Buttery, Buttery yeah. yeah, which is just in um, Binnaburra near Bangalore. Yeah, yeah, I've heard great things about that place. Oh, it changed my life. But, you know, mm. I still say all the Buttery was was the ambulance to get me into recovery. Yeah. You know, it just gave me enough days in a row of not drinking. They do a lot of therapy, so you start looking at your you know, your formative years and your yeah. background and dealing with some of your traumas and stuff like that, which was, you know, amazing to do. But the work's really been done in community where I'm now out and there are pubs and there are bottle shops and there are all of that, you know, and how I've managed to navigate my way through the world without that becoming part of my world again. It's so hard because it's so around us everywhere. Oh. And I imagine for someone that's been as addicted as you, it's yeah, it's like trigger town, left, right and centre. Well, this is it. You know, I still believe today if I, were, if, if I was going to, to relapse and absolutely I don't want that to be part of my story. But it would be on alcohol. Um, It's easy to get. It's socially acceptable. You know, I hate the fact that I became an IV user of of ice. Never makes me feel nice having that in in my background. But what it did is it made me crash really quickly. It was only seven years after the first time I, I had it that I almost dead, you know, whereas the alcohol was years and years and years because it just does it's just crippling and it's a long drawn out people just start drinking each day and do that for 20 30 40 years you know and can't and can't stop so i'm grateful that it made me crash really hard Mm. (laughs) hit hit rock bottom plus another two k's underneath (laughs) um but yeah, alcohol, it's cunning and baffling and powerful, you know, and oh, absolutely. it's legal. <laughs> the thing is too, so many people, they 
blame themselves. So they might be in a situation that you've ended up in and they think that they're weak or that they're, for some reason, they can't get in, on top of it. And But it's just the alcohol. Like if alcohol wasn't in this equation, oh, none of this none would None of happened. this would have happened. No. I'd, I'd be the mother of five kids, you know, yeah. run, doing a school run this morning. Yeah. Um, None of this would have would have happened for sure. I don't shy away from calling myself an, an addict and an alcoholic. I say that and I actually am so grateful that that's what I have because, you know, towards the end when I'm in um, psychiatric units, they're, you know, labelling me with every mental health diagnosis under the sun. And I took away the alcohol and I don't have mental health problems. Wow, Yeah. Yeah. So it's actually a relief because, yeah. you know, I don't want to be somebody who has, you know, a, a disorder that is going to continue to in, in, impact me, you know. Yeah. I, I still struggle with life because I started drinking very, very heavy at such an early age. And when I got sober at 42, I was probably the, you know, the maturity of a teenager. Wow. You know, I had a lot of growing up to do. Mm. Um, I had a lot of a lot of feelings to feel that weren't going to be drowned by by alcohol to actually feel them. Yeah, so that's what I was asking before too. So when like tricky situations come up now that would generally they would have triggered you in the yeah. past, how are you coping with day to day stresses? Yeah, look, you know, I I practice a lot of grounding and you know mindfulness practice. You know, I practice a lot of gratitude. So. Um, I have to not allow myself to fall into a victim mentality, you mm. know. So if something triggers me, I, I just refer to it as that's all it is and don't don't let it overwhelm me. It's just been an, through experience. It's just having enough times of doing it. You know, the first few times that I would have been triggered and, you know, it was it was really painful. But what I also do is I pick up the phone and I call somebody else in recovery and share it with them and then they can give me a reality check or they mm. can just talk me down from my emotional place. Yeah, I do a lot of reaching out. Hey, I really mm. do. I've got a lot of people in my court now. Mm. I'm not on my own anymore. You know, they say that this um, addiction, this disease is isolation and mm. the solution is connection. Yeah. It's because so many people really seeking connection when they drink in the first place. But you're terrible to be around. Yeah. <laughs> and you lose often when it, it goes too far. Yeah. You often lose your connection you or lo- there is no real pe- connection. People, people end up not knowing what to do and say. Yeah. You know, how much, and it's painful to watch somebody slowly killing themselves, you know, and doing the same behavior all over again. You know, and, you know, I was that drunk friend you wouldn't invite. You know, like, and mm. I understand it now. And that people just didn't give up immediately. They just didn't know what to do. And I think that's a really big point. You know, friends and family are also really greatly impacted. My family's been tormented by this it, and what's happened, mm. um, what I've, what my addiction did. You know, mm. absolutely. It's a, it, you know, they're completely impacted. So what they have to do is just keep themselves safe. So, safe, so they end up withdrawing from you. And then mm. that makes you feel even more alone. So it's, uh, yeah, there's it, the way out for me was to be sort of wrapped in cotton wool and looked after. I don't know. I kind of, I, I find it hard to even channel back into who, who that person was because it's so far away from who I am today. I know. I can't even imagine you in that, like that, like, especially yeah. like to what you were explaining is how it was towards the end and, because and I see you as a really powerful you know, empowered person. And that's it. You know, in those early days, you know, I still I still looked like that. Nobody knew that I had alcohol on board half the time. You mm. know, I had had a very good um, poker face. I suppose it, I, I, when you drink enough, it sort of doesn't affect you until you've, you know, had a bottle, you mm. know. Your body just gets so adjusted to being able to have the substance because it just stops working. So you need mm. more. Mm. Yeah, exactly. I've got a question actually. We've I've got a, a a really close friend who's really habitual binge drinker, and I, I suspect probably going into maybe more daily. And I haven't seen much of them because probably because of what I'm doing with this, yeah. um, they've probably distanced themselves a bit. But I was speaking to another friend on the phone, just checking in and seeing if they know how how she's going. And that friend said, "I've had to distance myself. I can't be in that." relationship yeah anymore because it's you know they were sick of getting the late night phone calls and they're trying to help them but then the person doesn't want to help themselves 
So, what do you think about that? Because part of me totally gets it, like why the person would want to stop helping them because it is quite painful. Yeah. But also I think, oh, don't isolate them. I don't know. I think that's the that's this big problem we've got in society. You know, how do we how do we have enough services and support for people? Because I don't think friends and family have the capacity to actually get anybody sober. I think they, they end up getting too close to the situation. Mm. Um, I wasn't going to listen to any of them, and I didn't even want to tell them the real truth. I was hot, you know, I, I, I had so much of it hidden, and I didn't want to hear how I'd hurt them and impacted them. I, I couldn't. If I heard that, it was just overly painful. So, you know going and saying, oh, this is what this is how I feel and, and this is why I don't contact you would be good, but then it also carries along so much um, potential for more guilt and remorse. So, yeah, that's a hard one, isn't it? It's just such mm. a hard one, you know, to, to offer what do we do about it. And, you know, from my experience, it is having having had somebody else who had gone before me. So, you know, somebody who I didn't know but would sit down and share my story just like we're doing here now. Yeah. Um, and they would talk about what they did and what they felt and what they were like. And then I could resonate with that person because I actually felt I had something um, something the same. I think when, when you know that it's impacting your life and you can't stop or you want to stop and you don't know how, when you're at that point of you, you're drinking – I think that's the golden opportunity for you for your time to actually get sober because when you're actually still living in it and not ready to stop, nobody can nobody can help you really. Yeah, although your friend helped you. Yeah, he did, but he helped me by reminding me of who I was yes, because yeah. I didn't know who I was anymore. So yeah. I was just gifted that he said, "Hey, when you were this, and I remember this, and you 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 deserve better." So yeah, for sure. But again, he hadn't been in my life for so many years. If he had a, yeah. he came in with a different objective. Yes. If he had been the person who watched the kids be removed, had seen my behaviours, and then listening to me complaining about it, he would have said, "Shut up, you stupid!" You know, like my family was at the end. You know, we we're not doing this anymore. We're not listening to you anymore. He he was enough removed from it. Mm. that when he said, give it a go, you might get your kids back, you know, your family will come back. I actually thought that he might might have been telling the truth. Mm. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what I could suggest to, you know, to helping, to helping somebody who you desperately know needs to stop and, and they're not yet willing. I think that's it. If they're not yet willing, how do, yeah. it's just not really possible they've just got to come at them just got to grab that moment yeah i think maybe too just like knowing letting them know that you're there i think sometimes we're even scared to let the person know that we know that they've got a problem because you sort of don't want to like seem uncool or not uncool but you don't want to seem like you're thinking you're better than them or yeah you know what i mean like this is this is just so hard you know because what it does to your um emotional self is um debilitating so you know someone so fragile you, you mm. it is it's so hard to know what are the words to say it's really hard i think for anyone like you or uh, any of us any of us that have gone on you know whatever stage you've been in if you are you know taking steps to become sober i think a really good thing too is just be proud of that totally. like not holding on to what it's gone on in the past. Oh my god, that's exactly that's mm. exactly how I, I did it this time. Because every time I fall back into my story, I can tell you, I can sit here and share my story with you and say, you know, I'm a, I'm now a 46 year old woman who has lost my five children. I've lost my license. I've got a criminal record because of my alcoholism. Um, I can tell sit here and tell you all of that horrible stuff Mm. and not fall into the guilt and remorse of it. But the only way in which I do that is that I live here in today. Yeah. So I'm simply just telling you the story. If I want to connect to that emotionally and take myself back, Mm. that would be crippling. Yeah. So I I don't do it for that reason. I don't share what's happened to me for the reason to live in the past. I do it to remind myself of the past, but I live in today. Mm. I can't even look into the future because if I start looking into the future and see that another 10 years is going to go by without me having my children, I'll give up. 
Mm. I, all I can do is just have this very moment and this day mm. and do the best I can in, in this day. Yeah, you're so amazing. It's just so amazing. And so incredible that you've gone from like that is so that's such a full on dark place to go to. Yeah. And you got yourself out of there. And I yeah. think, you know, it's incredible and be, it's going to be a huge inspiration for other people as well if they're there. Or an inspiration to not get there. <laughs> to not get there. This is what I mean, you know, yeah. like, please let me, if anything, my story be, you know, when I first got sober in AA when I was 32 years old, I had heard people sharing their story about going to jail or losing their family or doing criminal behaviour. And I was sitting there as a, a mother, you know, a, a practising mother who had a job driving my Mercedes to and from meetings thinking, oh, my God, that is so bad. And that was never going to happen to me. Wow. That wasn't going to happen to me. But when I picked up again, I picked up from the place that I left off. So I picked up as a daily drinker, heavy, and I went further. And I ended up with, yeah, all of that stuff that wasn't going to happen. Because you just don't know what's around the corner. You don't know. I don't know if I hadn't have stopped drinking and um, partying. I don't know where I might have ended up. Yeah. I know Ash and I wouldn't be together anymore. Yeah. So I can tell you that it, for sure. It's, and who knows? There's this wonderful piece um, of poem that was written by, I think it's called, it's an unknown author, you know, one of those pieces that you can look up and it's called The Great Remover. And... Um, That's what it talks about, and it says alcohol. It destroys homes, families, lives, takes mothers from sons, sons from mothers. It's this great bit of writing that someone's written, and I resonate with that like nothing else because Mm. it – you know, it actually even says it takes stains out of, you know, because you use metho to yeah. take stains off, you know, because it's a remover. It removed all of everything that was in my life it took from me. Yeah. Um, it's, it's really empowering to know, though, too. Like, again, I'm repeating myself, but it was alcohol that did that. Alcohol. It wasn't you. It was alcohol, yeah. you know, and again, none of that's possible and that, without that. That way of thinking, you know, all this language that I use now and the way in which I think now, I didn't have the capacity to do that when I first came around. All I could do when I first came around was just stay sober for one day at a time, connect with somebody else who was on the same path as me. You know, I still do... Um, fellowship meetings you know just look after myself take care because at the end you know I wasn't even showering properly or looking after myself well or making my bed when I get up in the morning and I make my bed you know Mm. I had stopped doing any of that I was living like a grot you know (laughs) like I couldn't manage my own life so I just Mm. manage my life today Mm. um and that's all I could initially I didn't have this language I didn't have the ability to to sit with myself the way I do. I've learnt it. I've practised it and I've learnt it. It's it's a slow recovery, you know, and I wish people a slow recovery because every mm. time I stopped and after 30 days I felt healthy again, I said to myself, well, I can have one. Oh, my God, yes. And I think that happens a lot. And you know, that's not no matter true. what capacity you I are drinking I can't have at. one, you know, yeah. but eventually... You know, when you're feeling healthy and you're physical, your skin's shining again and you've got your head together and, you know, you've sorted shit out, you th- it sneaks on in and sits on your shoulder tapping you going, what about just a glass of champagne? Yes. So yeah. abstinence is the only way for me. I mean, I, I can't ever have just a glass of champagne because what will end up will I be, you know, that woman that we that I refer to at the end of my drinking, I would get there again. It might take a month, it might take six months, it might take two years, but I have no doubt that I would eventually end up crippled by um, alcoholism again. And it's good to be um, truth, be truthful enough with yourself to know that, like know yeah. thyself. Same. Um, Ash and I, we originally took 12 months off alcohol. Most people listening know that. But when we got to the end of the 12 months, we were always planning to drink again at the 12-month mark. But I just said to him, I don't think I – I don't want to. I'm too scared that I'll go back to – binging like yeah. and my binging was really pretty bad and he was the same he and we've done so much work on ourselves 
yeah, you know, this spiritually, is it. physically, emotionally, that it wasn't worth it. The payoff, it just wasn't, there was no way it was worth it. And I know myself and I just know that I'd probably start off same as what you said, a couple of yep. drinks. Yep. But before you know it, I'll be, you know, drinking two, three bottles and ordering a bag of Coke. And feeling the way that you feel when you're doing that. That's yep. what I can, t- that's what I, you know, I know how I felt and I felt like a shell. I felt like my life was worthless um and who wants that again who wants that again hey fuck you know and what have i got today three years down the track firstly i live in byron bay so i pinched myself with that i came from um central victoria and where were you in in central victoria in castlemaine yeah have we had this conversation that's where i grew up oh really yeah yeah you know but i didn't know anyone there right apart from just walking down to that's where all my binge drinking started yeah yeah um but you know so i live in byron bay i have a a partner that i've had for you know about a year and a half now he's also in recovery and he's so lovely he's so lovely i have um a new career i'm a healer i do massage therapy and reiki and energy healings on people um i I have this beautiful house. It's only a rented house, but it's full of furniture. Um, You know, I have my health. I have my mental Mm. clarity. Bloody Mm. hell, I have my mental clarity. Oh, my God. That (laughs) is just remarkable. Big tick for that one. Big tick for that one because, (laughs) you know, I was just so consumed by by the feelings of worthlessness. Um, You know, I, I offer friendship to other people i wasn't a good friend in the end i i only wanted something from you if you could help me in a way give me money look after me do something for me i wanted you i didn't know how to be a friend now i i just act with no need to receive in return um i don't have my license back yet i lost my license for four years um and i'm going to have to have an interlock in my car for four years when I do get that back, that was after my third high-range drink-driving charge. Mm. Um, I'm so, so lucky. It was supposed to be a nine-month jail sentence, yes, for drink-driving. Wow. That's how, you know, how serious the law takes it. Um, wow. I think I was 0.16 when I was breathalysed. Um you know, what point two is supposed to be death, is it, or something? Yeah, you know, this wasted. is just incredible. And that was 11 o'clock in the morning. Whoa. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm quite happy to be a passenger, passenger in a car. I, I did the crime. I've got to do the time as such. Um, but it will return and I will be able to drive again one day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I wouldn't lose my life today for anything, you know. Yeah. Absolutely, um, I got I got saved. You know, I was I was going to die if not by my own hand, by recklessness behaviour, or putting myself into dangerous situations. The people I was socialising with at the end were dangerous people. Um, so I wouldn't be here to tell you this story if I didn't get sober. It's really interesting what you're saying before of like going for a month and then feeling really good and then like, oh, I can just have one now. It's often not the case when you've been a binger or a daily drinker. We know, we all know that it doesn't stay like that. If you have been a few months in and you're thinking I'm feeling good, but you actually want to keep going on the journey, but you think I'll just have one, just keep remembering too, I think, how it felt when you felt really out of control or when you felt worthless and all those really bad because people often forget oh, how evil you. alcohol is and it, it tricks, tricks you. you. Yeah, and you think, yeah. I'll be right. You forget how shit it makes you feel. Yeah. you well, keep I, reminding yourself of that. I do that. I always say to anybody who, you know, and I, I've, I've had a lot of people relapse that have been very good friends of mine who are trying to do recovery, and, and I always say to them, play the tape to the end, mm. you know, because this drink, where is this going to end up? Yeah. Remind yourself where you ended up. Oh, that's um, good. And even if you are just that binge drinker at the moment, remind yourself that you'll end up on that Monday morning again if you do yeah. it again this weekend. Yeah. You know, because that's, you know, how do we feel on that Monday morning when it's like, no, what did I do? How did I waste my weekend? What did I say? Who did I ring? I'm an idiot. You know, oh, that, that, all those things. All that stuff. You have to remind yourself that, you know, it doesn't get better. There is it never. 
it's it stops working, you yeah, know. Absolutely. It stops being a party and a fun time and it ends up just being a living nightmare. Yeah, and I think any time, I say this to everybody, but any time where it's starting to affect your life, it's starting to affect your self-esteem, you're waking up feeling regret or you're waking yeah. up, can't remember who you've dialed the night before, that's the worst. It is the worst. <laughs> um, that's when you know it's time to take a serious look at it. And often it doesn't change. It will just, because of the progressive nature of yeah. it, it does tend to get a lot worse. And um, You just get so stuck. So stuck, you know, and so lost for choice. You know, I mm. had no choice in it. Now I've got choice. I've got the choice of what I do for the rest of my day. You know, I didn't, I couldn't have chosen at the end. All I knew the choice was that I had to have something in my system so that I could operate. But we all do have a choice to stop. Yeah, you, you know, do. It, you the, can the choice do it. is in our own hands. It's, it's you possible. Know? Look, you know, if someone with my story and my life oh, yeah. can get sober, stay sober, be doing all these amazing things. I've saved money. I've got money in the bank. I had to pay back my children in the fact that what I I had stolen the money that I'd put away. You know, when you have a baby and you open up a little bank account and save for them for when Mm. they're going to be mature. I stole all that money from my children to use on drugs and alcohol. Mm. And I have paid over $14,000 back to my children. I've worked hard for it. You know, I'm saving money. I've got stuff now. You know, like I can... I have the ability to do – my life is limitless if I want to look at it that way. Absolutely. It is Where limitless. previously, mm. even – I was limited by knowing that I had to – I was going to have a drink today. Some some stage in the day, I was it was going to be in my hand. Wow. And I was completely powerless over that. It's just like – there's just no comparison, is there? Like you think about how good life is. And sure, shit comes up. Like there's always things to – Things come up and stress us out. Oh, yeah. Life still happens. It still happens. But I think, too, it's where you put your focus. Like you could be – like you were saying, you could be focusing on – I don't have my kids, but you're focusing on a brighter future for yourself and that eventually, hopefully, that can be mended. Yeah. You're not getting so bogged down in that. And I think that's a choice as well. We've got a choice of where we're going to put our focus on things. And like what I said before, when stuff comes up that's really challenging or I don't know how to manage myself, I get on the phone and I call somebody. Yeah. You know, connection. It's it's been the answer because I was living completely isolated and um, alone. You know, now I'm not alone. But I actually, the- I actually have to make the effort to do that. Because yeah. people still have their lives. So yeah. I actually have to dial the numbers. Yeah. Yeah. How the friendships that you have now, obviously they seem they sound very fulfilling. Oh, and really nurturing. Yeah. yeah. It's so good. And that's what you're also finding. And I've been triggered in my friendships. I lived with this one lady, um, I house shared with her and she was like my sister all over again. And we would bicker and I would get upset and I would have tears and I've had to learn how to do all of that and not drink. You yeah. know, um, and now I love her to bits because it, thank goodness I got to revisit some of some of the feelings that I'd had from you know a younger woman with mm. my sister because you know my formative years and my background it's messy you know like mm. my relationships were never very mm. functioning. Yeah, I read this really cool book a while back um, called complex PTSD surviving to thriving have you yeah. heard that? anyway he talks about reparenting ourselves absolutely hey. I love that so if you didn't even if you weren't loved as a child rather than putting your focus on oh my god I wasn't loved start to love yourself or yeah. be the parent for yourself now so you could there's ways you can mend things from your past as a way to heal yourself I love that idea of reparenting. I think it's absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, look, I still do therapy. You know, I've got a therapist and she, she talks about my critical parent. So it's interesting mm. you say reparent because I can have the critical parent on board. Mm. Um, but, yeah, so they're all, all other things that I've had to do. I haven't just been able to just, you know, stop and go on and live happily merry after. You know, I've got therapy that I go to. Yeah. Um, that's another person in which I share myself with really openly. Yeah. Um. Because as soon as I stay inside my own head, as soon as I try and find a solution, my head has given me pretty bad solutions throughout my life. I have made some really messed up decisions. Yeah, yeah. So if I just listen to myself, I might not give myself the best advice. Mm. You know, I'll get the criti- critical parent on board. I'll say to myself, oh, well, you've messed up or you're hopeless. 
Um, so He's- I have to have other people say, "No, Lauren, you're beautiful. You're you know you're a worthy person." You can do this. Absolutely. I'm a really a big advocate for um, self-praise. So even like today I, I did a bit of a run on the beach and then I went for a, a nip dip. So <laughs> I took my top off and jumped in the water and I love doing that so much. And after I've done that too, I just sit for a minute and I say, well done, Danny. Good on yeah. you for taking the time. And I give myself little praises. Absolutely. Even hey. if you're trying to get through a day and you get through a day without alcohol, like well done, like well done yeah. you or whoever you are. Uh, give yourself little praises if you cleaned up the house beautifully tell yourself well done like i'm constantly you should read my daily journal it's just That's like full of, well done danny well done danny well done getting myself to theater group today if i had too much other stuff on or yeah. well done for putting myself first or well done for eating kindness. well absolutely yeah like it's a good reminder to to just congratulate ourselves because we often don't do that. We have this inner critic. Oh, not when you, you think you're a piece of shit, you know, and that's what I did, you know, it, when it, towards the end. What did I have left in my life? There was nothing of, of value. So it had to be a slow build and, like you said, you know, then to say, yeah, I did it today. Yeah. I managed today. Yeah. You know? God, that breaks my heart to hear anyone say that, they think they're a piece of shit because oh i did though that's my honest truth yeah i did you know and uh, looking looking at looking at it from the outside i wasn't exactly very appealing (laughs) (laughs) well you are now (laughs) yeah 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 i've transformed absolutely god you're just such an amazing human and just like in the theater group i love the part that you're playing. Herod. Herod. But you're so strong. And what's yeah. that line that you were practicing that line last week? Oh, that's about killing each mother's son. <laughs> it's, yeah, a it's a bit morbid. It's a bit morbid and I do morbid okay. I lived a bit <laughs> lived a bit morbid for a while. Well, there was one day where you were walking. I can't remember what it was, but you were kind of like you're being a queen. And I remember you saying early on in, when we first started the theatre group, I can't, oh, I can't I embody I- a queen. I can't do that. I thought that's it. and then but you did like but weeks I later because I didn't think I would be adored enough to be a queen. You know, if if I want to sit back and listen to the critical Lauren, which she can still be on board, and if I want to sit back and think of it, I was like, no one will adore me. I'm not, you know, I'm not of any high status. I've never become anything, so I don't listen to that. But that can still play out in my head. So what I listen to is that, you know. Walk like a queen, be yeah. your own queen, yeah. know you're worthy. Yeah. Like what you said, that, you know, good self-talk. Yeah. I probably don't do it outwardly, but it's inside my head, you know. Yeah, mine's inside my head too. Yeah, like if nice. I was walking around going, well done, Danny, well yeah. done, Danny. I'd be like, what the fuck is she on? <laughs> but yeah, but that's the cool thing about the theatre group too, where um, that exercise we go through often oh, in the totally. morning where we take on the different personas and how our body changes if we're yeah. being someone downtrodden or if we're being a queen or whatever and how we hold yeah. ourselves differently depending on what persona we've got going in our own head. Yeah. So, I mean, you can go into each day being a queen if you want. You know, you, you can decide, yep. oh, I'm a queen Why today. Not? Fuck yeah. Why not? Well, it's just incredible. I love so, – thank you so much for sharing your That's story. Okay. And I just think you're amazing. And it's, a, it's a big story. Um, it is a big story. Yet, you should write a book. <laughs> yeah. And yet all I am is just another person who struggled with with the drink, you know. Yeah. It's, it's all I am, you know. It, it got really bad and now mm. it's really good. And yeah. how that's happened is I just haven't taken a drink yeah. again. And maybe yeah. life wouldn't be quite as sweet, so sweet now, you know, if you hadn't gone through all well, those hard it. times. Well, that's it. You know, I, I might have just stayed being that daily drinker for 40 years and died of, you know, liver cirrhosis or something, which you mm-hmm. hear of. Yeah. That could have been my story. So, you know, I had to lose everything to, to look at myself and I wish upon nobody else to have to go through that to you know make the decision to do something before it's all gone because it's it's pretty 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 hard to you know battle on but it's well worth it though absolutely and it's like like we're saying you don't know what is around the corner you don't know what your story is yet no i don't make good choices well (laughs) hey you know i um, haven't had the chance to share this with you yet, but my children are in Melbourne. I, I I left Melbourne to come up to the long-term rehab and I've never left Byron Bay. I've, I've now stayed here and called it my home because my community is here. But the distance, even the kilometre distance away from the girls, even though, you know, 
I don't have a very much of a connection with them. The kilometre distance makes it feel worse, like you mm. feel more helpless. Mm. And I've just been told only a, a few days ago by my parents that they're moving to the Sunshine Coast. Oh, yay! So, so my kids closer. will be four hours away oh, and not so awesome. two days drive. That's awesome. So already I'm starting to think, imagine what next year's going to look like. Yeah. I might be able to go up for the soccer matches. Yeah. Yes. Little things. Yeah. Just be available. Yes. Just be available to them. Yeah. I think there's a another message in this too, you know, like when so many people are like, oh, the kids are shitting me. I just, you know, I've got to have a drink and, yeah. you know, just appreciate them and. Oh, don't. Yeah. You know, cherish value, them. Value your days. Yeah. Value your days. Yeah. And for sure. Yeah. Well, I can't wait to see when you. Do get to hang out with them and yeah, yeah have them back and uh, yeah, this I'll thing will be beautiful. Absolutely, thank you so much. Oh, one more question: yeah. If you could go back in time and sit with, say, fifteen-year-old Lauren before you had that first drink, yeah, if you could just sit with her and give her some advice, what advice would you give her? Oh wow, um, I don't even. I don't know how. I I think you know what. I think I'll just hold her. Mm. I don't know that there's any words to be said because I was crippled in my feelings, mm. you know, back then. Um, so I think I just told her and say, hey, I've got you. Yeah. I've got you. <laughs> you know, give give some of the strength of, of this woman today to to that version of me would, would be lovely. Wouldn't that be amazing? That would be amazing, yeah. Well, you're ama- you were amazing. Thank, Thank you, you Danny. so much for coming and sharing your story. Thanks, love. Okay, bye. Bye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger. Feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.